In this episode, my friend, Dr. Ori Hample sits down with me and he shares his 25 years of experience with life insurance. He has an amazing story. I can't wait for you to hear it. Thanks for listening. We had fun. So in 2014, I go to the Texas Medical Association meeting and there's an insurance agency that had a booth there. No food. No food. (laughs) You may have had chocolate or something. James Netherine Associates. And there was, um, at the booth, there was a doctor named Eb Samlowski, and he did a podcast a while ago. And, um, and he was telling me that he's a retired general surgeon, and he's now selling life insurance and using life insurance, and that is what allowed him to retire. And he said, read this book. And he handed me Becoming Your Own Banker. It's this thick. And uh, 90-some pages. And uh, I took the book. And I went home after the conference. And I read the book. Were you skeptical at all? I mean, talking to, you know, another life insurance agent with with your experience, good and bad. I mean, were you a little skeptical about... Not really, because I've learned the mech lesson. Right. So I knew the worst case scenario, and I knew to avoid that. But now, it was 2014, I just maxed out my savings with my new life insurance policies. I didn't have money to buy more life insurance policies. Right. Just, um, just did. <laughs> every year, just did a few years ago. Every year, my net collection of revenue was going down. Mm-hmm. Obamacare came along, et cetera, and managed care and various regulations would decrease the amount of money I was collecting from working, even though I was more efficient, worked harder, saw more patients, did more surgeries, I collected less, and my overhead was rising. So I had decreasing income, increasing expenses, and the amount I was taking home was shrinking. So I didn't have more money to put into these life insurance policies, and I was putting, and I was funding my 401k. So what happened was that I had this book, and I read the book, and the book talked about taking loans against life insurance policies and using the life insurance policies as a bank. Okay. But I was working hard. I was earning an income. I didn't need finance. Um, my only, you know, I was paying down my house. So I didn't working aggressively to do that. And uh, I didn't need financing at the time. Um, and, uh, you know, when I remodeled my house, I took a HELOC to do it and, and then was paying it back. I mean, I didn't want to have debt. And um, I didn't have a need for banking yet. Or I didn't realize I had a need for banking yet. So, But with your previous, excuse me, you know, your existing cash values at that time and your your existing whole life policies at that time, um, surely it had to reinforce that you made the right decision buying life insurance from mutual companies right? yes. reading his book yes I read the book and I started reading it and I'm like I think I can do this with the policies I have right but I didn't talk to my agent about that because I didn't even ask my agent hey do you know anything about this book because it, it wouldn't have changed anything right so what happened was was I my oldest son went to college out of state and uh, he lived his first year at the dorms but then the second year and this was my wife's idea so you know sometimes you just got to listen to your smart wife <laughs> sometimes <laughs> and uh, just don't admit it but you just should and uh, um, and she said well he's He's living in another state, 
and he's not going to be living in the dorms. Why would he pay somebody else to live in an apartment? Why don't we just buy an apartment? And then he can be a resident of that state after a certain amount of time. And then he can get in-state tuition. Okay. So. And we have the apartment. And we have the apartment. We can so, the future. <laughs> so she, she found an apartment. And uh, there was for sale. And it was in a big building. Very close to the university. And most of the units were owned by investors. So it was less than 50% owner-occupied, which means you cannot go to a bank and get a mortgage because of Dodd-Frank and all the regulations that came along. You can get third-party financing, but you can't get a traditional mortgage, and third-party financing is expensive. So I called up my insurance agent, and I asked him, can we borrow money against my, can my son borrow money against his policies? And he said, absolutely. And I said, so what's the interest rate? And then does the policy continue to grow? And he said, the policy will continue to grow as if the money's in the policy. The money you get from the life insurance company and the difference in interest is about half a percent. I said, so wait, 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 wait. I'm able to borrow this amount of money. Now, this is not a huge apartment. It's like 700 something square feet. It's a little postage stamp and two bedrooms, and it's designed for three people to live there. This is the East Coast. There's not elbow room like in Texas, okay? <laughs> but, but he could, he basically used his policies as a bank, borrowed his own money to buy an apartment for himself. And because of all the money I've been gifting him every year, to stay, you know, at the state tax exemption, mm -hmm. he actually had funds to support himself through college because I've been saving since he was born. So for 18 years, I was saving aggressively so my son can go to college because that's what my parents did for us. They saved for us so we can go to college. And um, so he could prove that he can, that he does not need to depend on anybody else from another state. And he was a landowner. He was owner of a property, property owner. He owned his own apartment. And he rented out the other apartment to other students. So that covered some of his expenses of living. And so they, he actually they were had an income. The loans. <laughs> and he was repaying the loan yeah. some. Yeah, his so, cohabitors. So he had a loan. He was paying the loan back. He rented out part of his apartment. He was earning an income. And he was able to get in-state tuition because... He was truly independent. He wasn't dependent on us for finances. And uh, so in-state tuition was a lot cheaper than out-of-state tuition. So even if that apartment did nothing else, that savings alone was gigantic. But you, I couldn't have done that. He couldn't have done that. I didn't do it. He did it. He could not have done this without having his bank so what I thought was a retirement plan was a banking life insurance policy. And it gave him financial choices. And when he graduated, he sold his apartment to his brother. <laughs> I love who it. He took out loans from his life insurance policies. And then my it was all cash son, deal. Your brother correct. the brother didn't even finance it for it. It was all cash. I love it. <laughs> Correct. And then my older son used that policy sure. to pay for graduate school expenses. And so I was banking. And then I decided a few years later to read that book again because mm -hmm. it takes about, I'm a slow reader. Even though I'm a highly educated slow reader, I'm still a slow reader. But I could read that book in a night because it's that small <laughs> And um, I reread <laughs> I reread that book. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm doing, we are doing, my family is doing, my children are doing what this book says to do. We have created a banking system with plans that had the intention of retirement, but they were well-designed life insurance policies from an excellent agent, who's my agent till today, for those policies. And... Um, 
Um, and he, those, those policies were amazing, and they had all kinds of options to be able to get additional policies. Each kid can get an additional policy every three years until they're 40 years old um, without new underwriting. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, he, phenomenal life insurance agent. I mean, really did very well <clears throat> by my family. I remember when we first met, I mean, it, you know, <clears throat> I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't know, it's akin to your profession, but in my profession, you know, you see what comes in front of you and you can tell someone's previous work, whether it was good or not, right? And some is better than others. Your agent, I told you from the beginning, he 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 did good. He did very good. He did you a good service. He, right. Yeah. So what happened was, is I realized I was banking. <laughs> and I did. And I was banking, like the book said, becoming your own banker. And every year, I made sure that the anniversary, I was paying the interest on the loan, or my child was paying the interest on his loan back, so the loan was not growing and becoming, you know, exponentially larger, because it's simple interest in these loans. They're not cumulative interest like a house mortgage. It's simple interest. And so, um, as long as you pay that interest and, and principal also, if you can, um, your loans don't get bigger. And, uh, but the policy continues to grow and continues to pay dividends every year. And so, um, I looked at the illustrations of the policies that we had that we got in 2012. And my youngest children, our daughters, because they started their policy from a younger age, they can't contribute to as many years because they're going to be fully funded before our older children, before our boys are. And so I was looking to see also that my policy, my policies and my wife's policies were also going to be maxing out. So in 2019, I reached out to you. I reached out to James, and because you gave me the book, and I was already doing what the book said that you gave me, and I figured you you're going to know more about this. And you know, I mean, you provided me ideas, and you educated me, or at least you gave me the book that I educated myself. And, um, and I'm like, let me talk to him. And so we got policies, the four children got policies and I got a policy and my wife didn't get a policy cause I didn't have enough money. And I funded my policy as maximally as possible. Um, because I'm the breadwinner in our house and therefore I can get more death benefit. And this is the basic thing about insurance insurance is to replace a loss and what life insurance is is to replace the loss of a person specifically to replace the income producing the production of that person and so i was qualified for more life insurance than my wife could qualify for and therefore i got the policy on me and each child got their own policies because their place to put money away and to bank, their bank was filling up. It was filling up because of the MEC limit. And so we expanded our system and, and that system now has policies which are designed differently than their retirement policies. Their retirement policies were designed to put as much money away as quickly as possible, but they maxed out sooner. Yeah. So our current newer policies are designed to be able to put money away for longer. Not as much money, but f putting less money and for longer. And... Um, the other aspect is that that I had learned is that you cannot take the illustrations that you get when you purchase your policy and just sit on them. Every year, I ask all my agents to run 
and enforce illustration. Because... I may have to cut that part out. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> because these policies, as James says in many of his podcasts, the illustration is outdated the minute it's printed because it changes. And what the policy owner does as far as contributions, loans, paid-up edition writer contributions, those moving parts change things. The laws change at the yep. end of, was it 2021? Uh, yep. 2022? Yep. Effective 20, January 1, 2022. But that doesn't affect the previous policies. That affects policies from now going forward. But, I mean, you're right. Dividends go up. Dividends go down. You may pay the PUA that you are allowed to pay, you know, without making, you may not. I mean, that's not a guaranteed obligation to the policy owner to pay the PUA. There's a minimum PUA premium that's required with most all of companies. So as you go up and down in premium, PUA premium, and the dividends go up and down from the company, those those will affect the uh, illustration and, and cause changes in the illustration. So... I went back to my old, my previous agent that is still my agent that gave me those policies from 2012 and 2006 and those policies. And I said, well, these policies are full. They reached the point where we were not going to contribute any more into those policies, any more premium payments. Can you run an illustration to see if I can pay more premium because I want place to put premium because what happens in these policies is once they're fully paid like this and you've banked up to the MEC limit, if you look at their performance from year to year, they reach that exponential growth curve. And as, I don't want to say as an investor, but from an investment point of view, because life insurance is not an investment, it's say to replace a loss. But that exponential growth looks really good. And so any exponential growth, I want every dollar in that policy that I can get into that policy because now it's fully funded. There's no new expenses to those policies except what's planned and in the death benefit. And I want every dollar I can get in there. So my agent ran illustrations and like, yep, you can pay base premium for additional several years and we'll figure that out year by year how much more you can pay so i thought i was not going to be able to pay any more of those policies but i was able to pay not as much but less and but but anything that you put into that policy grows exponentially yeah. and so and you were seeing this and i remember having conversations it's like well and let me say as a side note <clears throat> you know some Blended PUA riders, the PUA blended with a term component are better than others. They're not all the same across all companies. And um, if I'm not mistaken, you were able to pay some PUA above even the base on some of those existing policies beyond the seventh or eighth year. Yeah. Well, right? the oldest policy I was not, I right. had only base premium, the oldest <clears throat> policy that I had. But um, the newer policy from 2012, we were able to pay some PUA as well. And what happens is when you pay this paid up addition, the death benefit goes up. And then I started to learn some other things. <laughs> is that these policies are illustrated up until 120, 121. And at that age, the death benefit equals the cash value. It must. It must by contract. <laughs> because at that age... God willing, we live to like Moses at 120, the insurance company just sends you the money. This is what you've earned. And so... It's endowed. It's over. It's finished. And so it means that that cash value that you have has to reach that death benefit by that age. And you're like, wait a minute, how can that be? That life insurance <laughs> death benefit is so large, but the cash value is so much smaller. Well, it's that exponential growth. And then suddenly I realized before the death benefit was, it was just necessary to make this life insurance to create a creditor protected asset, to create an income tax uh, free 
growth to create a state, you know, to create a state tax free death benefit, except for not a state tax free, income tax free income tax, death yeah. benefit, even though it's <clears throat> part of the estate. But suddenly I realized that I want as much death benefit as possible because it means that that exponential growth is going to have a higher trajectory for my family. And not just for my family, the larger that cash value is in the pol in policy, the larger the loans that I can take out, meaning the larger retirement that I can have. So, Which blew up your 4% rule, I, I would say. I don't know, but... Yes. <laughs> so that 4% goes out the window. And so then what happened was, is as I was realizing this number of years ago now, quite a few years ago, was that the money in the 401k doesn't perform as well as the money that's in the life insurance policy. What? I didn't say that. A doctor, a physician. Okay, so so here's twenty things. years of experience in life insurance. So first, <laughs> so first of all, four hundred one ks have expenses. Yeah. They have expenses of the accounts. They have the expenses of trading securities in and out, and they there needs to be a an advisor to many of these, especially employer sponsored plans, needs to have an advisor, and those are fee based advisors usually, and the fees are usually around one percent. Depending if you have a huge 401k, the fees are a little smaller, but uh, say around 1%. So I went to my insurance agent, my other insurance agent, and said, well, what is the cost of the insurance in my life insurance policies? And he said, well, they're maximally funded to the MEC limit. The cost of insurance is about half a percent. So my of those policies. So for my 401k, my management fee alone is 1%. Your trading costs are above one. <laughs> the Yeah, the trading internal. costs are higher than that. They're yeah. internal. Sometimes you don't see them, right. but they affect your return. But my life insurance, my whole life insurance policies from my mutual life insurance companies, um, their cost is half a percent and there is no thinking and there is, that's the management. That's everything. So the expense, the expense of my retirement funds is less than a life insurance policy. The other thing is, is that any money coming out of the 401k has to be paid through ordinary income tax. Yep. And there's this whole adage that your income tax bracket will be lower when you retire. That's another one of these financial planning myths. And I can tell you from firsthand knowledge that if one follows the rules and puts a lot of money into a 401k, you'll end up with RMD, required minimum distributions. And if your 401k is big enough, your required minimum distributions are big enough and they kick you into a higher tax bracket what? for the rest of your life. And... If those funds, you take them up front, and remember, I'm an, my own employer. Yeah. So if I was an employee of a company and I would put money in a 401k and my employer was doing the match, it would make sense to do because then the 401k grows with somebody else's contribution. At least their contribution may be mitigating, reducing, softening the blow of expenses. Correct. Maybe. And it might... It improves the growth, the performance, the accumulation. But because it's the money that I earn that is my ma the match, it doesn't make sense to me to do this. It makes more sense to take the money, pay the taxes now, and then put it in a tax-free vehicle that's creditor-protected that I can control. Because if that mo the money that sits in that 401k is not accessible to me, so when I need to make a payment on something, the lease ends on my truck and I want to buy my truck. Well, I just either fill out a form online or I email my agent. Within a couple of days, there's an ACH transfer into my bank account and I write a check and buy the car. 
I financed it from my against my policies from the life insurance policy. And then I'm paying ordinary income tax. And when I have the money, I can pay it off at my own schedule. I can be disciplined about it and make monthly payments like my lease of my car or or I can just pay it in chunks or lump sum. It doesn't matter. You mean I have you're controlling the amortization table. You're controlling the loan repayment. So if you want to pay more, you can pay more. So therefore, you're also then controlling the duration of the loan. But you can't do that in the 401k. No, well, could you? And and so, and, and I do want to say that all RMDs isn't always going to bump an individual up into the next tax bracket. But you're a physician, right. and um, it's very possible, is my point. And um, that then you can borrow against your four hundred one k, not your IRA. Um, you know, fifty thousand dollars or fifty percent of the value. Okay, and I don't. I just don't think maybe, and I know it was your son financing the apartment with his life insurance policies, but I doubt, and I don't know, but I doubt you couldn't have financed that apartment for $50,000 that your son went to. You no, know, but then it wouldn't have been, but remember, he was doing it with his money. <laughs> I know. Because I know. he was proving independence. Right. You know, to the to the university. Right. And maintain, getting in in-state status which he deserved because uh, I wasn't paying his college he yeah. was paying his college no, that's a beautiful thing and I'm so, just saying it's hard sometimes to find that now, you, you know I can borrow against 401k and take that $50,000 and then you know take that money and leverage that money at the bank to buy real estate but it's just leverage upon leverage and there the 401k I mean there it's 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 codified in the internal revenue code what the interest rate what the interest rate is and that loan duration is five years period period so I'm pointing out the differences between leveraging with the 401k um, versus leveraging with the life insurance policy. It's control, control, control. Um, and the more and you access. have, the better off you are. Control yes. and access. Yes. yes. And, and, and limits. And your limit is the, you know, all, not quite 100%, but above 90% of yeah. your cash value of your life insurance policy. Exactly. And, and, and they ask you, where do you want the check? How do you want it sent? You want an ACH? You want a, you want a, you want a paper check? You know, they, what do they ask you? Nothing. I mean, right. it's a service form. If you do a paper to request a loan from a life insurance company, it's a service form. If you go online, you can do it online. Right. It's relatively easy and painless. Right, and you, you you have access to to money when you need it, and you have control over the money, and so a number of years ago I stopped contributing to the four hundred one k because it doesn't make sense. It it didn't it didn't make any sense. Why would I put my money into that vehicle? And when I'm fifty nine and a half, before the current tax rate sunset, I will cash out my qualified money. And I will put it, pay taxes, and I will put it in life insurance policies. And that's what he's doing. That's my plan. It may not be the thing for you to do, okay, but it may be, but we're not, I'm not telling you to do it or not to do it. You know, Ori is sharing his experience and what he's going to do if it makes sense for him. But then, too, you're not just doing this out of the blue. You've been buying life insurance. You've had the experience with MEX. You've had the experience with BULs, Variable Universal Life, the IUL or the UL. And whole life for a time, for quite the time period, right? So yeah. it's not like you just decided last week that, oh, I'm going to take everything out of my 401k. So I've been buying life insurance policies for 25 years. 25 years. And, um, and you know, and virtually almost every type of life insurance product available there I have purchased and used. And, and you've gone through about four or five agents, it sounds like. <laughs> well, it, it's it's basically, you know, I've gone through three life agents. You're mm-hmm. my third. Um, and two disability agents who were all, also life agents, but mm-hmm. I didn't purchase any life insurance for them. And this kind of brings me back to, okay, so what what did I learn? Okay. First of all, I learned that that I, I don't know everything. And that I need to have an open mind. Yes. That pushy agent 
that came to my house over 20 years ago that wanted me to buy a policy which I felt was too expensive for me. What I didn't know then, and I know now, if I would have listened to him and bought that policy and contributed premium into that policy maximally, like he was telling me to do, but wasn't explaining to me how to do. And this is, I don't even know if, uh, it's just right around the time that the book BYOB came into existence. Yes, yes. The first edition. Yes. So had I found that book before Amazon existed, um, and if I understood what I know today, my financial position would have been completely different if I didn't have that mech, if that life insurance company did its responsibility, if when I was orphaned from the agents that sold me the policy, if I went to get another agent and would do transactions through that other agent, that would have been another layer of responsibility yeah. that might have prevented me from doing a mech. Right. And I would, have had, I would have still had a universal life insurance policy a variable universal life insurance policy, which is a terrible product and very risky. But when I did this, I was in my 30s. Right. And, you know, you su financial planners tell you you can take risks in when you're young, but not when you're approaching retirement. So that's the time to do it. Maybe, probably not. <laughs> but, but even then, had I, the first lesson was, you got to investigate things. If I would have investigated that whole life insurance policy from mutual life insurance company, I would have be, I, I would have been I, beyond two decades into that huge policy. Yeah. It would have probably stretched me financially, probably caused me some anxiety. But I was already working hard, and I was. That just you, means yeah. it was a legitimate premium. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was a scary number. I don't remember what the number was. All I remember was I was looking at it, and I was like, uh, there's no way I'm putting that kind of money in there. Because remember, I was still contributing to my retirement plan at the time, you know, the 401k. And, uh, and then that's one mistake. The second mistake was that I allowed myself to be orphaned, that the life, I didn't realize that the life insurance company, as it being my agent and my life insurance company, there is no fiduciary looking out for me. There's no third party between me and the life insurance part company that's looking out for me, that's advising me. I didn't have an advisor. So you can't, one should not think that they know everything. You know, the arrival syndrome that, hey, you know everything. No, no, you need an agent. You need somebody on your side to support you. Then the next thing I learned was don't make emotional decisions. I made an emotional decision when I didn't listen to the pushy agent. I made an emotional decision when I took that stupid mech and made it a stupider mech. And I lost money doing it. And, you know, most of that money all is still accessible to me, but, but it, it, was, it was a stupid thing to do because it was based on emotion. Mm -hmm. I was mad at the insurance company, and I decided to withdraw my funds, but it hurt me. It yeah. didn't hurt them. Right. Well, I guess it hurt them, but it didn't really hurt them. They don't know me from Adam. And so, um, and, but in learning all this, I, I, I did some good things, too. I saved money for my children from the time they were born. Um, I created them a lifelong asset from the time they were young children. Um, and as they're maxing out their life original life insurance policies from 2012, I went ahead and got them new life insurance policies so they can further bank. And I'm still contributing, I'm still gifting them money because you know, I don't, I don't think the federal government deserves any <clears throat> estate tax from me, even though I may not be able to avoid it all if I continue to work hard. Hopefully, You're I'm currently taking advantage of the opportunity to gift money to your children versus gifting the money by force through estate taxes. Nothing... Uh, 
wrong with that at all. As a matter of fact, everybody should be aware of your uh, estate tax values, your 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 net worth. You know what is your estate worth? What are the estate tax uh, thresholds? Um, and then what can you do about that, if anything? So right. you're just knowledgeable. Well, those thresholds now are huge, are yep. great. Mm-hmm. Well, but when my parents taught me this lesson, the threshold was below a million dollars. And, you know. But that, it, I mean, but they still had the ability to give $10,000 per. Right. You know, and so it was still a large number. I Correct. mean. Correct. The threshold was low. Their estate, they were going to, they were going to pay an awful lot of money in estate taxes. I'm presuming somewhat here, but if they had not gifted you and your siblings, Uncle Sam would have got that. Right. Well, my parents are doing well. They're healthy. Uncle Sam's not getting anything yet, but Perfect. <laughs> hopefully not for a very, very long time. But uh, God willing. But. Uh, um, but the, these are very so the good things lessons. you learned. I don't want to. I don't want to sidetrack you. I mean, you're. Yeah. Uh, but the the good things that you have learned, you were um, gifting to your children since they were born. Right. So you're practicing what you learned from your parents, and uh, so keep going from there. That's what. And I'm, the other thing I learned from my parents, and my wife learned from her parents, was to save money. And and there is no better way to force that discipline than having committed to paying premiums to a whole life insurance policy from a mutual company. Because the money that I earn, the first priority is to pay the premiums. If I don't have enough money to make a big tax payment or to purchase a car at the end of a lease or to pay a tuition for a child, then that money's in a life insurance policy and I can borrow against it from the life insurance company. But the first order of priority is to get that money into that life insurance policy. Premium has priority. To get the premium in there to the maximum limit below the MAC so that it can grow exponentially. And then it'll grow exponentially, but I can access the money through loans and then pay the loans back. So that agent early on, the pushy one that, that you know, the lesson that you learned making a, an emotional type of decision, um, he really, or that decision, I want to blame him and I'm not blaming you. I'm not, I don't even want to assign blame. But that inactivity of buying that big premium whole life insurance policy with a mutual company really cut off the most efficient exponential growth that could have been with that policy. So you didn't make the decision, then you go forward six or seven years and you make the decision, you know, at that time, six or seven years later, where you're still going through the startup, quote unquote, phase of a policy, the early, all the expenses of a whole life are weighted in the first two years. They don't pay the agent all of that um, contrary to what you hear by the the uh, financial entertainers, yes, they pay the agent, but they pay all of the cost. The majority of the cost of putting life insurance in force from a company is weighted in the first two years. I can't get around that. You can't get around that. Mm-hmm. So by not doing it at that time, you know, for whatever reason, you didn't understand he was pushy, he was emotional. Um, you still had to go through that startup loss of liquidity six years later so really what you don't get to enjoy is the last six or seven years of that exponential growth does that make sense it's actually longer than that i know because this was (laughs) early 2000s i know and okay you know i didn't get my next whole life policy until 2006 ish 2005 2006 and then i really didn't get a more life insurance policies in 2012 and so and so, you know, that first seven years would have been by 2007, 2008, 2009. I mean, I would have been in the exponential phase for the last 15, 16 years. Yeah, but you didn't know what you didn't know. I didn't know what I and didn't know. And then going through what you've gone through, you know, when, and I, and I appreciate the timeline I've made, you know, I've tried to make good notes for me because this is, this is very powerful. If, if I was a listener, I would listen to this more than once. Um, you know, you didn't know what you didn't know. 
And as you're getting this experience, but you're not getting mad and just um, avoiding life insurance or life insurance agents because of the poor experiences that you had, you continue to investigate, right? And then and you continue to pay premium and you continue to buy more life insurance. And then after you've paid life insurance premium to mutual companies, own policies with mutual company, you know, then you read Nelson's book and you like, I'm already doing this. So there's not any of your previous agents as as good as they are and were. Um, you didn't know. They may not have known, quite frankly. But then because you had been paying premium, because you had cash value, and then you read Nelson's book and you're already banking, right? And then, I mean, I love that. It's a beautiful. I wish, you know, all of our experiences, everything you know now, I wish you could have learned earlier. Um, but it's very powerful is is what I'm saying because you're going along against the grain anyway. You have some bad experiences along the way. Um, you have some good experiences. You're practicing what your parents taught you and you're, you're doing it with life insurance for your children and then you're teaching them how to finance through their life insurance policy. I mean, he was going to live out of state anyway. He was going to pay the premium if he wasn't a resident. I mean, the cost of the tuition if he wasn't a resident of that state. Right. Um, I mean, and here you are doing it. I mean, I can only envision, imagine that your experience through all that and, and then learning more, discovering more about the infinite banking concept in Nelson Nash's work. I mean, my head would explode. I'm just saying, 20, 2018, 2019, you know, it's like, oh my gosh. And so if it was 2019 since we met, and I don't want to, I don't want to uh, divert you from, um, your experience, but uh, I'll just be quiet and let you keep going. It's, I'm so excited. It's like, it's a beautiful thing because I wish I'd have known what I discovered after 14 years in life insurance, but I wish I'd have discovered that, you know, two years into it. Right. Anyway. Right. So, so in, in a nutshell, I, you know, I'm very happy with what I have. I'm very happy with my plan going forward. Some of the mistakes I made that I learned from um, have put me in a better situation with what I've done since I made those mistakes. And great point. And it and yes, it takes a lot of discipline. And the biggest discipline is making sure that you got to pay your premiums and pay to the Mac Mac limit. And if you need the money, just borrow it and then pay it back and and just keep that banking function and cycle going. Now, a, a little other side note and side story. So we have we have this joke, this running joke in our house. And this joke is based on a, a true story. So there was a, there was a man in Colorado that went on a hike in Rocky Mountain National Park. And this uh, hike is called a hike to Deer Mountain. It's a Deer Mountain Trail. And we, we are, our family is very familiar with Rocky Mountain National Park. We hike there a lot. My kids grew up hiking there in the summers and from the time they can walk. And uh, I've been very fortunate to be able to do that. And uh, so this guy took his wife on a hike to Deer Mountain. And the story was that he was going to take her picture and she, he told her to step back, step back so he can get a better picture. And she fell to her death. And she happened to have a life insurance policy on her life. And uh, so the life insurance company did some investigation. And then they found that he was previously married and his ex, it is, is his previous wife died mysteriously by going under a car and then the jack fell and she got crushed to death horribly and he got paid from the life insurance company because she had a life insurance policy on her and so they investigated and they searched his car and they found a map with x marks the spot where she died and they arrested him and he's 
was put in, he was convicted, put in jail, and so basically he killed two wives for a death benefit. So we have this running joke in the house of, hey, let's go hiking Deer Mountain. <laughs> so we actually did that a couple Thanksgiving ago. <clears throat> Thanksgivings ago, we went to. Did y'all go to that particular spot? <laughs> we I don't know where the spot is, but I'm it's sure. Like, we I, I'm by sure it. my wife has but, seen that on Dateline. <laughs> but but so 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 here's the deal. What I know and what I've seen in this life insurance illustrations, the question is, do I want to do what this guy did? <laughs> because my wife has life insurance policies on her. And the answer is, absolutely not. One is because I really, really dearly love my wife. And, you know, she's the love of my life. I can't imagine life without her. But... We told, I said, let's not bring emotion into this. Let's just talk business. Talk numbers and talk business. My wife has mature life insurance policies that have been funded to the MEC limit. Those policies she has are over, are over 11 years old. They have been fully funded and fully mature. Their cost of insurance within them is less than half, is half a percent or less. And she, because she is female and she is four years my, my, younger than I am, her policies have performed way better than my policies because I'm four years older and I'm male. So my cost of insurance was higher. So her cost of insurance was lower. And her policies are incredible. This other agent that designed her policies did an amazing job. And doing the MEC tests, apparently the original illustrations were really wrong. So we've been able to pay maximum premium for several years longer than expected, including this year. And you have. And I have. And starting next year, we'll have to drop those premium payments, but only by about two-thirds. And when you look at the performance of those policies and the exponential rise in the cash value, which means the amount of money we can borrow against, and the death benefit, which is more than doubled what we started because all these paid up additions by fully paid up life insurance. And so this, I don't know if this has ever been explained on any of your podcasts, but when you do a PUA, a paid up addition, what it does is part of that money is spent to buy a fully paid life insurance policy that's tacked on to the policy, a fully paid life death benefit for the rest of the policy's life without paying anything additional. And so if you really maximally fund your policy and you have a PUA rider in place, your death benefit really grows. And that does several things. One is it avoids a mech and it raises your mech limit exponentially which is why i believe i don't know because i'm not an actuary i'm not the life insurance home office but which is what i think is the reason that we've been able to pay additional premium for three to four years longer than expected at the maximal level the second thing it does by exponentially raising that death benefit and that target is age 121 it means that the performance of the policy has to catch up to it, which means that the cash value at this point in the policy is also rising at the exponential phase. All emotions aside, purely numbers, I totally want my wife to live at least till 121, at least till 120 like Moses. Because that life insurance policy is a phenomenal investment. Remember, insurance is not an investment. Life insurance is not an investment. It's, a, it's there to compensate for a loss. I don't want to have that loss. Right. 
I want this policy to continue growing. This whole Deer Mountain joke is far behind me because I have seen these illustrations over the last several years and every year they look better and better and better and the and they are nowhere close to how they were illustrated in 2012 that speaks to and i think i've you know talked a lot about pua there's some i mean we're doing more work currently on pua exactly uh pua for client only access but this just substantiates what nelson said the action of the owner of the policy has a greater bearing on the result of the policy than even the life insurance company. All right. So when those life insurance illustrations were built, you know, it has a blended uh, PUA on there and has a term component that, you know, we've discussed. When you pay a PUA premium, you know, there's a fee for every dollar you pay into the PUA premium. It's in there. It's disclosed different across the different country, companies. But as an example, if I pay a $100,000 PUA and I'm 20 years old, it might buy 300000 in death benefit. Paid up additions. It's paid up additional death benefit. So you're exactly right. That was exactly part of the component that created the results, right? You're buying uh, more death benefit. The seven pay test, the initial seven pay test, the MEC test, the seven pay is a continuing um, occurrence behind the scenes. So internally at the home office, these uh, the seven pay test is ran every year. You go into a new seven pay period after the first seven years, and there's continually mech testing going on in the background. So when you had your policies, it was designed to pay seven or eight years. Um, but you were able to pay without mecking additional PUA premium. It buys the additional death benefit. So it allows you to pay doing that, it allows you to pay for two or three more years. No question about it. But also what that PUA premium does is it buys, it, it earns dividends. So when you pay a PUA premium, only if you paid a PUA premium in one year. Say I paid $100,000 in PUA. My policy was built to take it. There's not a MEC. It causes that year's dividend to go up and every dividend in the future to go up. The dividends, when they're properly applied to the PUA, there's no fee or charge to a dividend being applied to the PUA, but that dividend buys paid up additions because the dividend is being paid into the PUA. So it, it, it's, a, it's not just one mechanism that's creating this exponential growth, but it's absolutely boils down to your actions, the actions of the owner by paying it. So pay a PUA premium, there's a multiple of death benefits that are purchased, paid up one time. There's not a premium due for that additional death benefit forever again. That additional PUA creates a larger dividend, right? It From that year, every year forward, that dividend goes into the PUA, buys additional death benefit, goes right to the increase in cash value. It's a beautiful thing. So, so. <laughs> When you've got these policies and you've paid into them the maximal amount and they're properly designed because yes. these policies were designed by a different agent. Mm-hmm. But, and, and they were designed. Great, he did a good job. He did a great job. And, but they were designed to pay premiums for seven or eight years. That's the way he designed them. Right. right. And, and he originally designed them to not accept any more premium. Right. And, uh, but once the illustrations were run, it could accept more premium. And so I've already learned that if a policy can take a premium, you fill up that premium. Yeah. And and my goal is to have a very, very, very long life with my wife that I very, very much love and watch that policy grow like so, crazy. The So it kind of, from your experience um, in life insurance, you know, reading Nelson's book, seeing that you're practicing banking, seeing the results of the premium that you had paid previously into these whole life policies, and then, you know, and then embracing, you know, you already embraced early that it was a great place to save money. I mean, just the idea of paying a premium, if I have a scheduled premium, I don't care if it's seven years or 10 years, it should be the longest period 
the longest period possible, in my opinion. But doesn't that um, kind of at least create a guide or a path to help you in your discipline in saving money? I mean, there there's um, virtue in, in having, well, I can contribute, I can put money in savings or not, I can make a contribution to an investment or a qualified plan. This premium is due. You're going to get a premium due notice, right? And, of course, if you have enough cash values, you can offset the premium. There's a lot of things that you can do. But if you're focusing your goal and your intent is to protect your family, you're going to, you're, you, you would work the additional hours required, if necessary, to make a premium payment, even back then. Would you not? Just yeah, yeah, because it, I set a goal. Like I made a commitment. Yeah. So I made a commitment, and and I, you know, it was explained to me that if I make that maximum premium, I'm going to have that much more for retirement down the road because of that exponential growth. I believe it was Einstein that said that it, you know, the power of compound interest. Yeah. And. And these policies have demonstrated the power of compound interest, and it's amazing. And it, you know, gives me hope for the future. It gives me, you know, a timeline that someday I'm going to be able to retire. I mean, the the you know the the problem with what happens and what we have now is that people, a lot of people can't retire, or they retire and then unretire, and then they have to start working again. And um, or work some in retirement, not because they want to, because they have to. And and I think the less, you know, all these lessons that I've learned from agents, from my own bad experiences, from my parents, from my wife's parents, is, is set yourself up for your future and for your retirement. Set up your children so that they can duplicate these things that work for you and protect your family and and uh and these are what we've been commanded to do uh to provide for ourselves and our families and the next generation and uh um and this is my ongoing goal to just uh keep keep doing this as long as i can um you know Within yeah. time constraints and limit and trying to do better on family time and things that I know that I need to work on, um, including this weight. And uh, um, but uh, I don't have food. <laughs> but just uh, we don't have food. But, uh, you know, this is what I want to just share my experiences. And if this helps anybody and uh, uh, it, it's, it's worth it. Because Absolutely. other people can do this, and it's not you—you you, you don't have to be a doctor to do this. No. I mean, I think almost being a doctor is a hindrance because you have a lot of education. You think you're smart, and uh, you think you know things. And you know, doctors have a reputation for being the worst business people, and they have a reputation for being uh, the number one target for financial people preying yes. upon us yes. because we're you know. Yes, we create an income, but we're too busy to really manage anything, so we're exposed. But this is an asset that I, I manage, and I spend a few minutes a year managing it. You know, it's an email to my agents. Please give me an in-force illustration. I look at it, and, and, and the same email says, how much can I pay this year to stay below the MEC limit? I get the number, and then that's my goal. Find the money to pay that number. And then go on to the next year. I love that. I can't believe that. Um, well, we met in 2014. Is that what you said? 2014. And I didn't call you for five years <laughs> <laughs> because I couldn't afford any more premium sure. until my policies were filling up. I didn't call you during those five years, but I'm glad that we connected in 2019. And it seems like, though, I mean, I feel like I've known you longer than that. We've had a lot of conversations over the last several years, and they've been good, and I've learned. Um, and, and, a, and I've really enjoyed those conversations and your experience that, that you've shared with me, you know, because I, I just, it, it's a beautiful thing when you can, when you share your growth, what you're doing, um, and I say your growth and understanding, right? Um, it's just been it's been my pleasure. I'm telling you, I have greatly enjoyed it. And, I and have too. 
and I, I appreciate even having the opportunity to be a part of it. You know, it's, uh, I believe everyone should do what you do. I mean, not necessarily being a physician, but everyone should lay out for themselves and their family what you've done. And, and it's scalable. You know, it doesn't, whatever your income level is, find a way to, to bank with, in life insurance policies from a mutual company to the level that it's, it stretches you. Look, if you're not paying a premium so high that your spouse looks at you and questions your intelligence, it's probably not high enough, right? If it doesn't cause you to break out in sweat beads, you know, on your forehead, it's probably not high enough. But don't misunderstand me. I don't want you to overextend yourself. I'm not saying that. But it's your money. Right? It, it, this is your money. It's your future. It's your family's future. I mean, pennies in, pennies out. And and then and I love the, uh, you know, the mistakes that you made. And you mentioned kind of referenced earlier. If you hadn't made those mistakes, you wouldn't have necessarily learned what you know. Correct. Right. So it's okay to make mistakes, um, but it's okay to correct them too, and not just you know give up or quit, do something, you know, out of emotion because somebody you know we're all human. You know, we all make mistakes. Even 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 life insurance agents make mistakes, right? And I'm sure physicians make mistakes as well. Okay, so if I went to my physician and, and he, uh, you know, made me angry, you know, I, I might change physicians, but I'm not going to walk away from Western medicine. You know what I mean? So um, it's okay to make a mistake and correct it and then do better the next time, which I believe is, that's exactly what you've done. Every mistake you've made, you've corrected it and done better. So, yep. you know, good job. And, you know. And I, I, you know, I sleep easier at night knowing that I'm doing this. I have whatever I've done in this process and whatever my pl- I'm doing and whatever I plan to do in the future and, and whatever my children are going to do with their policies in the future. I mean, it's just, it's just so exciting. I can't even, we, I mean, you, we, uh, well, you may, you have experience, but I can't, um, it, the future is unknown. I mean, I can't wait to hear the experiences that you have with your children as you're guiding them through financing things and controlling their cash flows and they're managing their life insurance policies. What's that worth? It's, you know? it's, it's priceless. Yeah. It's peace of mind. It's generational peace of mind. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. I was talking with a client earlier today and I think she said, you know, and, you know, they had made some mistakes prior to meeting me and. And they're going to continue to make mistakes after meeting me. Meeting me really now not anything to do with their mistakes. But what they've done in life insurance, you know, we just made some minor adjustments. And she said, James, and I know she's listening or will listen, and I appreciate you. She said, well, you know, as we as we age, you know, we, we, you know, we may not – it doesn't really even have anything to do with aging. But as we have money and we don't know what to do, you know, and we may be leery of being taken advantage of – um, are making mistakes. And so there's some point in time that you, you've got to get past the analysis, right? And you've got to take action, good, bad, or indifferent. You know, you take action. If you made a mistake, you make an adjustment and correct it and keep going. Um, I think a lot of people out there in the big wide world don't know what to do with money. They're being told qualified plans or real estate or cryptocurrency or whatever, right? And life insurance is bad. Don't do this. And if you do life insurance, do universal life, VUL, everything. But that old-fashioned, stodgy, slow as molasses whole life, that's the worst of the worst. When, in fact, it's really not. It's the best. <laughs> it is the best. I've had the others. Yeah. So firsthand experience, the whole life insurance policies with the mutual mutual companies, and I've dealt with more than one, mm-hmm. um, it's it's just unbelievable instrument unbelievable instrument so that exponential powerful. curve whenever you can see that that's just just like oh my gosh and when i say and i get it's a blanket statement but it's a solid belief that you can't put enough money in life insurance physically literally once you see what's going on it's seeing what's going on learning to see and understand what's going on that's a challenge and it really um, it's not that difficult, right, when you separate yourself from the noise, when it's hard to even know what the noise is. Um, but, man, once you see what's going on, now that you see what's going on, 
I mean, you just literally physically can't put enough money into life insurance. You can't pay a high enough premium. Somebody will tell you that's too much. You got too much death benefit. Oh, that premium exceeds your income ratio. It's all a no, no, no. Somebody, you know, and I've said it before, the limits are really between our ears, right? But once you get past that, somebody else has a limit for you. So keep stretching. So. And thank you for all you've done for me. Uh, you're welcome. Thank you for family. the opportunity. I appreciate that. Okay. Thank you for listening. Um, I had fun. Hope you enjoy. Thank you, Ori. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us on the Banking with Life podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe and click on that little notification bell. Otherwise, join us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher for weekly content.